every lady needs a hobby. A Miss Fisher's murder mystery podcast. I'm Mackenzie. I'm Genevieve. This week we're reviewing season two, episode three. Dead Man's Chest. You know, interesting title. There's, is there, there's really no chest involved. There's no chest. Yeah, there is. There's the chest of coins. But it's like just a small box. It's a small chest. Do you have like a (laughs) a minimum size of what you consider a chest? (laughs) Well, I guess I was picturing for a chest, I would think sort of like a hinged box, you know, that opens. And this one I think Mm -hmm. had a totally removable top. What do you think? I didn't notice that. I did, however, research this treasure that allegedly they're finding or potentially finding when the coin initially um, washes up. And it is an actual like legendary treasure in Queenscliff. So maybe it's referring to that. Is it really? Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you researched. Yeah. So what did you think of this episode overall? Uh, well, I I mean, this is a favorite of mine for sure. Uh, it's just great, like, Franny and Jack, lots of action there. Um, and then I love all the, like, grog antics that happen. <laughs> and then something I particularly love that I especially noticed on this rewatch is the, um, the temperance sign holders that just show up in the background of so many scenes, sort of like a Greek chorus, you know? They're just, like, always there. And I just really love that touch. I think it's really funny. Well, and someone just... Someone on Twitter just sent this photo of actual temperance union people, and it's pretty spot on to what the people look like in this episode, so... Oh, really? Yeah. Like, frumpy, or...? (laughs) No, just, you know, like, holding signs and looking really serious about abstaining from alcohol. Oh, okay. Like, there was no actual prohibition in australia ever right no because we've talked about this before it was it was sort of almost like there was rules about when the grog was served but i don't think it was ever against the law yeah um i just have always thought it was funny given how fantastically unsuccessful the prohibition movement was in the u.s like in hindsight it's amazing that people ever thought it would work you know yeah, it is interesting. I mean, I think it's telling that not even Aunt Prudence is a temperance advocate. <laughs> no, definitely not. My One of the things I loved about this episode is I feel like I had a newfound respect for Aunt Prudence on the rewatch. She's just like, she has some really good lines in this episode, and she helps her friend out, and she's just, I don't know. I feel she like is, Prudence came away looking pretty good. She is a great friend in this one. Yeah. Well, anyway, more on that later. <laughs> Um, so the cold open of this episode is a man and a woman waiting at night on a dock, and then they're ambushed and murdered, um, and they also drop a box of coins, and then we see sort of maybe the next day their corpses are being robbed and then weighted down and thrown overboard into the water. Cool. (laughs) I have in my notes, happy, happy, cold open. I don't know why I did that last night when I was really, really tired, so... (laughs) Maybe because last week there wasn't really a cold open. Yeah. Oh, no, I think my happy, happy note was for the intro, not the cold open, because it was making me happy. I got, like, four hours of sleep, so. Um, Well, next up, we've got Signs of a Road Trip, the... I, I wrote in my notes the Fearless Foursome, which is maybe a misnomer, but they appear to be outrunning a train in the Hispano, um, and Dot and Aunt Prudence look terrified while Jane just reads a book. Um, I, know, I love that. She's just like sitting there reading. I definitely, when I was reading the seventh Harry Potter book, that was me. I remember distinctly driving somewhere with my family and I did not want to get out of the car because my eyes were glued to that book. Oh yeah. I actually remember specifically, and it's like a memory I'm ashamed of, that I was once so absorbed in a Harry Potter book that like my mom was driving me to the airport and I was going away somewhere for a while. And I took this whole two hour road trip to just <laughs> read this book. And she was like, oh... Are you going to read that the whole time? <laughs> she just presumably just listened to the radio or something for two hours while she's like, going to the airport. Maybe she wanted to spend time with her darling daughter before you flew flew off. Yeah. But no. Well, no. You just had to find out what happened next to Harry and Hermione and Ron. So I want to note that the best part is it was a reread. I'd already read it. <laughs> oh, yeah. this was definitely the time I'm thinking of. It was definitely the first time I had read the seventh book and I just had to find out what happened. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Totally understandable. I did look up the... I did a lot of research for this episode, so... I was hoping you looked up the book. Strap in, folks. I did look (laughs) up the book. Strap in. This car's going 80 miles an hour. (laughs) Um, I don't think... I think this was pre-seatbelts, so probably none of them were strapped in. 
But she was not reading Harry Potter. She was reading a book called The Little Bushmaid, which is one in a series by Mary Grant Bruce, who is an Australian children's author and was, who was considered really influential in forming concepts of Australian identity, especially surrounding kind of the identity of the bush. Huh. Was there so, a school of witchcraft and wizardry in the bush? Um, I didn't, I didn't see that in the, the little article I read online. You can read this book. It's like in the public domain now. So it's pretty readily available online. Maybe we should check it out. Special episode, listeners. <laughs> a review of an old-timey children's book called The Little Bushmaid coming your way <laughs> soon. <laughs> in theaters near you. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, next up... There's a, a man named Frank is chased in front of the Hispano, but not hit because of Miss Fisher's excellent driving skills. Um, and then we get some, like, sort of establishing shots of Queenscliff, which is where they are. Um, and we see their, our first glimpse of the Prohibition Advocates out with their signs. Yeah. I'll also note that um, while Franny slams on the brakes to avoid hitting this guy, Jane continues to read the book. Like, everyone else is, like, like, holding their hats and, like, screaming. And she's just sitting there, unconcerned, continuing to read the book. Classic. (laughs) I mean, it seems exaggerated, but, yes, really, looking back on me as, like, a child and teenager, I I could have read through a tornado. And I, like, I remember a time when I did. Like, my brother and I were so absorbed in what we were doing that my mom came home and she was like, there's a tornado warning. You need to get in the basement. Like, how have you not seen this? And we were like, I don't know. (laughs) Reading a book. (laughs) Also, Aunt Prudence has a great line in this when they're, it's sort of like during the establishing shots of Queenscliff. She says, Queenscliff used to be such a select summering spot before the day trippers and riffraff moved in. Which I I felt like was just a classic Aunt Prudence line. Oh, classic. Yeah. Ugh. Queenscliff. I say that I I have no, I know nothing about it. I don't either, but I probably agree with, with Aunt Prudence. Everything was better before the riffraff moved in. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then we get a quick interlude at City South Police Station, um, where Hugh and Jack are discussing the fact that uh, Miss Fisher's definitely not going to have a quiet vacation. <laughs> um, and also a priceless lost doubloon has been discovered in Queenscliff, allegedly. Yes, and it's part of Benito's lost treasure. So this is, I looked it up, this is a real legend of... Benito, quote-unquote, bloody sword, Bonito. His name was literally Benito Bonito. Benito Bonito. Yeah, so... All right. uh, Cool parents on that one. Um, (laughs) I can see why he adopted the nickname Bloody Sword. Um, Anyways, he sailed around the world in the 18th century plundering jewels, and then he allegedly hid his jewels in Queenscliff, and there's, you know competing stories of what happened some people and this is the theory that they posit in the show that the the british kind of were on to him and he hastily hid the the treasure on this island near Queenscliff and then was arrested and hanged um there's an alternate version of the story that his crewmates turned on him and basically murdered him but his treasure was never found and it's currently valued on this like sort of random website i found at an estimated 300 million dollars. So, we were talking about a get rich quick scheme the other day and maybe <laughs> we need to go to Queenscliff to search for Benito Benito's treasure. Do you think that we should write that on our visa applications that that's what we're going to do? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I did find this Facebook group dedicated to finding the treasure, and one person said um, that he claims to have found an old Spanish coin in Queenscliff, and I quote, says, it's time to get out the metal detector again. Oh so. my god. <laughs> well, doesn't Rob have a metal detector? I think his brother does. Oh, wait, no, that was like a fishing rod situation, right? Oh, that was the magnet fishing thing. The I don't magnet think that would, fishing. would serve our purposes. Yeah, it was, probably It's not. just a really powerful magnet and a rope. It would have served our purposes for season two, episode one, where the lock was magnetized. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. You could definitely use it to drag a, a, an iron lock closed. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, so then next up, the four happy travelers 
pull up to the house of Hilly, who apparently is Aunt Pete's friend, um, and all seems to be in an uproar. The staff have departed. Uh, there's been a burglary, uh, and there's just no one left to answer the door except this dirty boy with dirt on his face. <laughs> so, how is his face so dirty? I, just, I, I got really fixated on this in this watch. I was like, he just, he literally has dirt smeared all over his face. I know, right? I was like, okay, I mean, the guy's gotta be like at least 15, 16 years old. Like, I don't remember walking around with dirt on my face at that time. You know, you, you just clean it off. You feel that it, it's there, and you, you just wipe it off. <laughs> And it's like that time, you know, like you've hit puberty and you're just kind of always a little greasy. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I was like, okay, showrunners, we get it. This kid's a little <laughs> rough around the edges. Is that what you're trying to tell me? He's rough around the edges. I Message message has been received. <laughs> um, so out of, I have in my notes that out of the house shrine, a policeman and a man in overly baggy trousers, which not to like spoil my worst outfit of the week but why is gerald always wearing the baggiest trousers i mean the trousers are bad but a greater concern for me is the trim on his jacket what is that striped trim like what the heck it's a bad outfit it's so bad then the trout he has several pairs of just really really baggy pants oh yeah anyways so maybe gerald was really fashionable for his time but that is not the um effect he had on me as a 21st century viewer (laughs) yeah he looked like a huge nerd in that suit and just like i mean i remembered that he was the murderer immediately because this is one of the episodes i've watched most of the time Mm. but he just like i mean the pants are too baggy to be innocent that's all i'm saying (laughs) yeah only a murderer would wear pants that baggy easy to conceal your Weird antique knives in them. <laughs> yeah, see? It's it's classic sign of a murderer. Um, this is a tangent, but I recently read this book called Conan Doyle for the Defense. Um, and it's like a, a true account of Arthur Conan Doyle sort of pitching in on this true crime. This guy was wrongfully convicted of a crime. Um, and apparently during the Victorian era, there was this whole theory of policing that was basically like, you could identify a criminal based on physical characteristics. And so Conan Doyle and like Sherlock Holmes is sort of like the antidote to that, where it's like, no, actually you should use logic and reasoning to solve crimes. Well, like, like criminals tend to have bushy eyebrows and suspicious walks. Yep. Basically. Oh my God. Yes. Wow. People thought some really stupid stuff. Yeah, it turns out um, <laughs> a lot of people were wrong about a lot of things. Yeah. Um, but also, we do live in the age of crystal healing, so just want to throw that out there. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah. Um, also, fun fact from this book relevant to last episode, um, Arthur Conan Doyle was a prominent spiritualist in his time. Is that so? Yeah. He wow. was like, and he kind of got a lot of like heat for it because people were like, this is not in line with your like, all your talk about rational, rationalism and logic because this isn't logical, but he was <laughs> a huge proponent of spiritualism. That was, that's interesting. Yeah, I was reading recently that those books were um, like an excellent example of how rampant opiate addiction was at that time because so many over-the-counter medicines just were actually opiates that people people gave to their children. And oh, wow. Maybe, yeah, and Sherlock Holmes was a drug addict, right? Yeah. Portrayed that yeah. way. Yeah. So that part's realistic. <laughs> well, um, anyway. He's also, Sherlock Holmes is also based on a real person that Arthur Conan Doyle knew, who's like a doctor that he knew, and he, he, was, he was a doctor, so he was training with this guy, Dr. Bell, and Sherlock Holmes is sort of based off of him. Huh. Anyways, this is not a podcast about Sherlock Holmes, but I did just read this book, so... No, but I would, you know, I would like to note that um, if you're into feminist murder mystery shows, um, I forget the name of it, but that um, mod, like sort of modern Sherlock Holmes show that was on for a while with Lucy Liu as Watson, like Watson is reimagined as a woman. And um, it gets kind of a bad rap because people love the Benedict Cumberbatch Sherlock, but I actually think it's more creative because they put a female character in there. Um, is yeah. that on HBO? You know, I only ever watch it at my dad's house, so I'm not sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it may not be on anymore, but, you know, no, I liked it. That sounds it. fantastic. I liked it. I mean, obviously I'm into feminist murder mystery shows, so <laughs> it's a very niche uh, interest of mine. Well, it's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, so then, uh, also, it's important to note that we find out in this scene that this is a temperance household. So, we got the champagne back in the boot. <laughs> and they have so much champagne, just like a whole basket of it. You want to come prepared, you know? I guess it's true. <laughs> um, and then uh, we get sort of some some cut cutting in and out of scenes with Hilly and then Miss Fisher talking to her son. Uh, we find out that... Uh, you know, so there's some fishy things going on with Hilly. She seems to have dismissed her servants. Um, some vases are missing. And also the son is a famed adventurer. And he thinks that the doubloon that was found was his and it was stolen. And the local police are just, like, not helping because Hilly's temperance union shut down the policeman's family's hotel. Once again, the local clods are useless. Of so. course. Classic local clod. <laughs> Classic local Claude in, in uh, Constable Baxter. Oh, no, he's not a constable. He's a sergeant. Anyways, um, also we learned that Gerald's coin box went missing the same time the staff were uh, retired. So, Right. And Hilly doesn't believe that it could possibly be the Johnsons who took the coins. Which she really goes into like quite the hysterical little display here, given the fact that like, she gave them the coin bottle. Right. <laughs> like, she definitely had a lot to do with them leaving with the coins. Oh, my God. To do with it. Just lies on lies on lies. Which is probably why she doesn't want to go to the police. True. Yeah, that probably has a lot to do with it. <laughs> also, I wrote down in my notes, because in this scene, Miss Fisher just flirts shamelessly with the son, and I wrote down that she is truly the most shameless flirt I've ever seen. And then, because of the way he responds, I wrote, except for the son, he is worse. Because he just, like, it's just like, ooh, yeah, let me get up in there. And it's just, like, so gross, actually. I, <laughs> Yeah, he's like... Do you like rocks, Miss Fisher? Which is like the worst come online ever. And then he like places a stone in her hand. And I'm oh like, is that God. supposed to be sexy? Because that's weird. <laughs> so then we get a little kitchen staff gossip interlude uh, where we discover the dirty boy Kip is probably sleeping there. Um, and then the Johnson's dog shows up, which is unusual and is a key clue to us that they're definitely dead. If we hadn't already guessed dead. that. <laughs> yeah, if you hadn't figured this out already, they're definitely dead. Yeah. I love the way Dot reacts to the dog, where she just sort of gets a broom, and she's like, shoo, shoo, shoo. <laughs> Half-heartedly, like, stabs at it. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's like, who reacts to a dog like that? Everyone's like, oh, a dog. Oh, like, have you ever, have you ever seen someone shoo a dog? Yes. It's kind of how my mom is. Uh, that explains a lot. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of how I would be, too. Also, how did the dog get into the house? Is there a dog door? No, they let it in because they heard it whining outside the door. Oh, right, yeah. Well, so then Kip and Jane decide they're going to go off and look for the, jo the dog together, which seems like a real teen pregnancy opportunity, if you ask me. And also, if you ask Dot, wow. she thinks so, too. <laughs> you think that... <laughs> You think Miss Fisher hasn't taught Jane about, you know, being careful? The the use of an internal device? It's not yeah. just for trapping spiders. Exactly. <laughs> Anyways, I'm just saying. Well, Miss Fisher thinks she's got to sow her wild oats before she gets sent off to boarding school. <laughs> and Dot just says, like, sanctimoniously, is that wise? <laughs> so then, Miss Fisher makes a quick phone call. Uh, she needs a cunning linguist, I mean a numismatist. <laughs> I I looked this up because I actually had to turn on the subtitles to see what the word was and then look it up. You know, I honestly always have the subtitles on in case you have a file of evidence on me of like Mackenzie is an old woman. <laughs> Constant subtitle is use. Really? I the subtitles. Always. Yeah, I I mean sometimes I turn them off, but I need them so frequently that I just I end up turning them back on. I think I turned them on for Dairy Girls and I just have been writing that ever since. Yeah, I, I definitely will turn them on sometimes if it's a show, like, that is made in Britain, and I sometimes have a hard time understanding the accent, so no judgment. <laughs> yeah, um, and so um, Jack puts up some token resistance to coming down to help, um, but it'll be fun. Oh, you were going to tell us what a numismatist is. I was, I looked it up. It means relating to or consisting of coins, paper, currency, and metals. How does she know that he's a coin collector? Um... I don't know. I don't think we uh, see her find this out, but I assume it's during one of their little, you know, sharing intimacies over cocktails in the window seat. Must be, must be. <laughs> 
Um, oh, do we also, sorry, there, there was a point a while back that Phryne is talking to Hilly and they established that the Johnsons introduced Hilly to the Temperance Union. Oh, yeah, that's important as So well. that is an important part of this connection. Anyways, they're definitely they dead, so. insufferable, so. <laughs> yeah, well. Actually, they don't. I mean, they seem like no. nice people. They seem like nice people. Yeah, I think so. Um, so then on the beach, Miss Fisher is chaperoning, after all, and her sunglasses are fabulous. Oh, uh, see, these are the sunglasses. She's worn these in several episodes before. I just want them. So good. They're so good. Um, and then we get a little bit of Kip mansplaining about the lost treasure of blah, 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 whatever it's called. Benito Bonito. Benito Bonito. Um, and of course they discover a body, because, like, why else would they be out walking around? And it turns out it's Frank the Fish who ran in front of the car that morning. Surprise, surprise, a local clod shows up and displays some token incompetence, which prompts Miss Fisher to steal some evidence from the crime scene. And now that it's a murder, Jack's on board. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So some important clues that uh, you glossed over. (laughs) No, I'm not going to hold it against you, but... um, So we meet a few key characters in the scene, namely Findlay Ellis and Wally who come mm-hmm. up and identify the dead man as Frank the Fish. So he was the fishmonger who used, quote unquote, used to work for Ellis. <laughs> and they're like pretty obviously lying about that. Yeah. Um, and then also some temperance ladies who are ever present with their signs sort of come in and say, it's the demon drink. <laughs> yeah, well, it is, it turns out. So <laughs> yeah, it turns out it was all about the demon drink. So maybe we should become temperance advocates after all. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> Um, so then Dot goes to pick up Mr. Butler at the train station. Um, and I have to wonder, like, did he have the week off and now he has to work? I hope he didn't have anything fun planned. Maybe he's just going to get all the silver down and give it an extra good polish. I think that was probably what was on his agenda. So a little trip to Queenscliff was a nice jaunt. Maybe he was going to go on some dates, though, you know? Butlersonly.com, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Mackenzie, I don't think that Mr. Butler ever has moved on from Mrs. Butler. And I don't think he's looking for love because he already had found the great love of his life. Well, you already know I'm a Mr. Butler, Miss Fisher shipper, so oh, maybe so the only weird. one. It's so weird. Oh, it's listen so carefully, weird. listeners. If you know of any fan fiction <sighs> with a Mr. Butler slash Miss Fisher pairing, I want to know about it. Please send it to me. Uh, please private message that to Mackenzie. Justice for Mr. Butler. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to know. To be clear, I have no interest in <laughs> um, Also, we get introduced to our heartwarming side plot here, where um, Mr. Butler has brought a tux for Kip. Uh, where, And I, I've always just felt like this is Mr. Butler preparing a young man for his future career of low-wage demeaning labor. Like, is yeah, it actually heartwarming? <laughs> it's supposed to be heartwarming. I have in my notes, aw, the glorification of the pretense of the aristocracy. Servants. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I mean, I guess at least it's probably kind of realistic. Yeah, and then I thought to myself, I'm such an American. We really are, aren't we? <laughs> it's just a very American way to look at this, this storyline. <laughs> it probably is, like, actually, you know, Mr. Butler is helping this young, dirty-faced boy in, like, the career, the only career that is open to him and really just setting him on his feet and helping him on his way. Well, he certainly does start with washing his face. Yes, um, once Mr. Butler arrives on the scene, Kip's face does become noticeably freer of dirt. (laughs) (laughs) So then next up, we have one of the best scenes, I think, in the whole series. It's a great favorite of mine. Agree. Yes. Just, yes. (laughs) Uh, Miss Fisher is entertaining a man in her private parlor. (gasps) What a scandal. (laughs) We've never seen her do that before. (laughs) (laughs) But just, I mean, the iconic lead-in of the, the... breathing and the oh. jack and the, then the champagne cork popping you know what a tease oh, it's what such a tease, tease. <laughs> i'm pretty sure the first time i watched this i was like wow they're just they're finally getting together and then i was like no nope definitely not just Ugh. champagne Ugh. um so then uh the evidence is reviewed some banter is traded um Miss Fisher discovered the Temperance Union's plan to shut down all the hotels in town. She found that in um, the Johnson's room. Um, I think she also reveals the evidence she stole from Frank the Fish to the bottle grog and the watch that belonged to the Johnson's. 
She also gets in some real good, just like bashing of the local clods. Oh yeah, yeah, and then just some some really terrific banter around the reading out loud of the watch, the behold my darling bit. Ugh, so oh, good. Oh, so funny! It's so good. <laughs> you know what? Important point about the subtitles because I always thought she he said my darling, and then she said that I'm forgiving, like as if she thought he was ta- you know pretending that he was taking a liberty by calling her mm-hmm. darling. And she's, you know, that I'm forgiving. But the subtitle says, say something more like that I'm forgiven or like now that I'm forgiven, like as if yeah. he's, I, so I just had completely misinterpreted that this whole time. Yeah. Cause before that he says something, he reads something else. Oh, I think he was, before that he was chastising her for stealing evidence. Yeah. And then he's, he's opens the watch and reads it and says, my darling. And then she's like, yes. So then I'm forgiven for stealing the evidence. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So she's, oh yeah. She says, so then I'm forgiven. But I always thought that, I thought it was oh. that I'm, that I'm forgiving. Oh no. I didn't need the subtitles for that. <laughs> um, you are like a month older than me. So you know, a maybe in a month. <laughs> yeah. You know, I just don't like to miss anything, you know? No, it's fair. <laughs> Um, so then next up, we just get a real brief interlude of Jack playing bad cop with the local Claude Baxter, who just kind of meekly submits and agrees to all of Jack's demands. Yeah, we get some real, like, Jack taking charge and, like, pulling his gun on criminals and just, like, stepping in there in his trench coat being sexy in this episode. <laughs> if you're into that. Which yeah, I obviously I mean, have. I'm into it, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then next up we get, uh, I think dinner, it's dinner, I think not yeah. lunch. And this is another of my favorite moments in the, in this episode where, um, there's like secret champagne being poured under the table. Yeah, I love and it. I, you know, the first time I watched this, I really thought Jack was pouring the champagne into Miss Fisher's glass, but on closer inspection, it seems like she's pouring it herself and he's just kind of watching. What do you but think? I think he definitely has a glass down there too. Oh, okay. Well, that, that's still cute then. Yeah, 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 definitely. Because they're both sort of, like, under there, like, <laughs> champagne. It's so good. It's, it's so, so good. Um, so then Miss Fisher posits that the murders are connected, um, Frank the Fish and the Johnsons, which Haley doubts, but obviously they are connected because this is a murder mystery show. <laughs> um, and Gerald comes in and says he's looking for a mold that he took of the coin, and he's acting kind of shifty, and we find out his whole collection was stolen... Uh, he also says he was home the night that the Johnsons left and the coins went missing. Um, and he made Hilly some hot chocolate. I don't know. Yeah, Seems sure. Fishy. Sure yeah. he did. Those baggy pants say otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, uh, the initial report on Frank the Fish's body was that it didn't really have any injuries. So, cause of death as of yet unknown. Yeah. I have something about aviator glasses. Who's wearing aviator glasses? Oh, Miss Fisher, she has, like, some goggles. This is, this is why I put this in my notes. They're in Gerald's study, and Miss Fisher just, like, pulls these aviator, like, goggles out and puts them on and just, like, keeps talking to Jack. Oh, right. Yeah, that part is funny. <laughs> um, and then Jack is being suspicious of Kip because he has a dirty face, presumably. Oh, yeah. That's such a needless thing. It's like they're trying to introduce a red herring, but we all know it's not Kip because he's already making flirty eyes at Jane. And she's too young and innocent to have her first romance be with a murderer, you know? I don't know if she's innocent. Yeah, she's... she was like an orphan pickpocket, so maybe not. Yeah, I think she's seen some things. Yeah. Well, anyway, next up, they have to head down to the docks, obviously, where there's for sure blood and, you know, the smell test reveals it to be fresh-ish. Two days at the most, says Phryne immediately upon sniffing it. <laughs> yeah, uh, sure. <laughs> Rob and I went hiking the other day and found this very suspicious, like, spot that looked a little bit like blood on a rock. And, like, he sniffed it and I sniffed it and we were both sort of like, doesn't smell like blood. But then I realized, like, I don't know. Like, it might have been blood. Yeah, I don't know that I know what blood smells like. I don't think so. I mean, I know what, like, raw meat smells like. But anyways, Friday knew immediately that it was blood and it was two days old at the most. I guess she does see a lot of bodies. Yeah, I mean, I feel like she would know. I don't encounter blood ever in my, like, professional life, so. Yeah, same. Same. (laughs) 
Um, and then I don't have a lot to say about this scene except that Miss Fisher is wearing a fantastic pink and white dress. I really like the cut of this yeah, dress. Yeah, I also do too. She's also wearing really great shoes and carrying a parasol. Yeah, the whole outfit, it's all cool. That was also most of my notes on this scene was about how great her outfit was. So. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, I mean, why can't we wear a little coordinated sets like that? I mean, we you could. Know? Yeah, but everyone would think we look stupid. All right, so that's that scene and Friday's outfit. <laughs> um... Then next we go back to City South, where Sess is dropping off a rum bottle for analysis. I think the rum bottle from yes, the, that yes. Miss Fisher stole. And Bert is just drunk as a skunk. And yeah, it's he was 9 like, it's 9 a.m. Like, he was probably never been drunk <laughs> in his life. <laughs> it's just like, um, excuse me? <laughs> and he's like, I, I don't want to come up for drunk and disorderly. <laughs> and Sass is like, would you please? Oh, <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty funny. I mean, it would be pretty annoying to drag him around all day because he seemed like yeah, super like not annoying. just a, like quiet drunk that's like gonna sleep it off. He was like you know burnt but more aggressive. <laughs> this actor gets to play fake drunk yeah, a lot. That's huh? sort of definitely part of his uh, repertoire <laughs> in the show. Yes. Um, so then that's that. Uh, back in Queenscliff, there's a lot of silver missing, and Kip knows where it's gone. Uh, Hilly was giving the silver to Frank the fish, uh, and also a confrontation about this may have prompted the Johnsons' yes. departure. Um, this isn't in this scene, but I love the part where Aunt Prudence is like, uh, like, about the vases. She's like, those are my wedding present to you, Hilly. Exchange for produce! <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. Exchange for produce! Also, I love that, like, she she's like, well, she said the vases were in the bedroom, and Miss Fisher is like, I checked, no vases. <laughs> and then you picture oh, her yeah. sneaking into Hilly's bedroom looking for the vases, the vases. I hope that's a deleted scene. Because I, I assume God, she also yes. did some other snooping. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um. So then, uh, Aunt Prudence and Miss Fisher conference about this maybe signaling some potential financial problems on Hilly's part. Um, and then Prudence immediately just, like, asks Hilly about it, which seems like the wrong tack to take, but that's why she's not yeah, a private detective. Well. Hilly, yeah, and Hilly denies it. Offense taken. Thank you very much. <laughs> also, Hilly asks if Franny's handsome friend has found any evidence, and Franny's like, who? She's like, <laughs> yeah, and I wanted to note that uh, I was reading, I think it's, is it Jenny P, the Tumblr that does really great summaries of these episodes? So, yeah. um, she didn't do every episode, but I believe in this one, she notes that, like, it's clear that um, they're signaling that Miss Fisher isn't really thinking of Jack as just a man at this point. She's, like, still thinking of him yeah. as a police officer because of the scene where he says, a man in your private parlor, and he's she's like, oh, I thought you were a police officer. And then this part mm -hmm. where Hilly says, your handsome friend, and she's like, who? Yeah. So, just, I thought that was a perceptive note on the part of Jenny and P. Yeah. Whoever you are, your summaries are legendary. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, too, like... It's interesting when I came to do the sexual tension rating. Like, there's this is one of my favorite episodes, and there's some of my favorite scenes in it. But I don't know that there's, like, direct sexual tension so much. Like, I think Jack is definitely interested, and, in, like, Franny maybe isn't yet. I don't know. Well, I think, you know, she is always interested, but a lot of her conquests are just kind of characters, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, the... You know, the spiritual medium guy, the dance instructor guy, the tango dancer right. guy, the, like, the wrestler guy. So, um, Jack, maybe at this point, is just the policeman guy to her. She hasn't quite figured it yeah, out yet. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think she's definitely, we have some indication that she's sort of goading him, which makes me think that she must at least know he's a, an attractive man, but... Yeah, I mean, I feel like that is just sort of her yeah. nature. Like, she couldn't, you know, she couldn't not do that, no matter right. who it was. <laughs> True. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway. Um, also, I want to note that in this scene, we catch a glimpse of Kip in his tuxedo, and he's he so is. cute. He really is. I can see why <laughs> Adorable. him. I wonder what else that actor has done. Yeah. Super cute. Um, so then at luncheon, Hilly is unwell, and G Gerald is upset by further runaround from the policeman Baxter, 
And Jack reveals that the Johnsons never caught the ferry they were supposed to be on. I think they're dead. Definitely dead. (laughs) So, uh... Next up, we got we got to catch the uh, early morning high tide, so everybody knows that's going to be a Black Beret oh, situation. Yeah. Uh, Jack also tells Franny very uh, conspiratorially when the next high tide is. <laughs> so I'm wondering, does this mean that he spends the night at the mansion? Or does he, like, take a late train and then an no, early one? No, I think one? he's staying there. Okay. They never reveal it. Um... Well, so then what they observe on the dock is the boat boys from earlier unloading what sounds like bottles from their boat. Um, and then the two of them presumably just totally ruin their clothes by jumping. Into <laughs> yeah, they don't show the like <laughs> aftermath of that scene, but they just like drop into the, into the ocean. I'm like, seems like an interesting plan, an interesting getaway plan, but okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's funny, but that would for sure ruin what I can only presume is an expensive suit. Uh, yes. Um, Dry clean only for a reason. I think it's cute in the scene that Jack comments on Franny's perfume, where she's like, I was quiet as a mouse, and he's like, yeah, a mouse wearing French perfume or something like that. It is cute, yeah. Because he doesn't have to say that. No, but he does. That's why I think he's... He's he's paying attention. Um, And then... Jack says he'll escort, he should escort Franny home before they drop into the water. And I have in my notes, what happens next? We'll never know. <laughs> yeah, like, how deep was that water? Probably pretty deep. It was high tide. They're bringing a boat in. Gross. Oh my god, you couldn't pay me enough to jump off of a dock in the middle of the night into the ocean. Like, absolutely no, not. not. That's my worst no. nightmare. Ugh probably sharks down there yeah and also in australia i feel like there's a lot of like really poisonous fish and stingrays and just poisonous things in general so yeah this is australia there's probably snakes in that water isn't australia just chock full of snakes i mean i may have made that up probably (laughs) there's nothing scarier than a water snake you see those things swimming around terrifying anyways (laughs) All right, so then back at City South, uh, we find out that the grog was abnormally high on the grogometer, which is an official scale of drunkenness. <laughs> um, and then Bert is let out of the drunk tank, and he reveals that the grog he drank was the same as the crime scene grog that he was getting tested. So we know we've got a bootleg operation on our hands. Yeah, a bloke at the station sold them that same grog. What a coincidence. Or not a coincidence at all. <laughs> Someone's got it out for Bert. Or not. <laughs> so then Hugh heads to Queenscliff. I forget why this is necessary. I to help with the investigation. I think just Jack probably wanted him to get in on the holiday they were all having. <laughs> holiday murder investigation. <laughs> Daddy, we're going to the beach. Oh, yeah, no, I'll save it. I'll save it. All right. <laughs> Um, so then back at the McMasters, I have noted that Hilly is trying to sneak some sly grog. <laughs> some sly grog. That is definitely what Hilly is doing. Yeah. I have in my notes, meanwhile, um, at the temperance household. <laughs> meanwhile, at the temperance household, Hilly sucks at yeah. stealth. <laughs> oh, but she kind of yells at Kip needlessly. Uh, and then I don't understand why Miss Fisher pours out Hilly's rum. It seems like she'd want to just leave it there, but she pours it out, which is a sure way of signaling, like, I know what you're up to. Yeah, also, you know? like, it's not like getting rid of the alcohol is going to cure the alcoholism, so, anyways. Yeah, I don't know. Um, um, and that probably would kill the I thought that too. I was like, hmm, that can't be good. <laughs> yeah. Well, the servants will take care the of it. The one servant can't. <laughs> Yeah. Also, so also so then they, know, uh, like, so she yells at Kip because he brings in the dinner setting because they don't have a full breakfast setting. And I have in my notes, is that actually a thing? Like, my breakfast setting <laughs> is definitely the exact same as my dinner setting, a.k.a. a bunch of things um, I bought at the thrift store, so. Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, I've got the little plates and the big plates, and that's that's it. And then the mismatched yep, forks. Yep. That's what I've got going on. Well, Hilly would be <laughs> shocked, I'm sure, to see this, the plates I, I Yes. 
Well, Hilly's a woman who's never washed her own dishes, True. so... <laughs> Uh, so then, um, they all head down to the pier to meet Hugh, and surprise, what do we find More at the dead pier? bodies. <laughs> the and Johnsons. Could it, could it be the, the Johnsons? <laughs> um, and there's some, some arguing on the beach. We find out Ellis, the boat captain, claims they asked him for a ride because they'd missed the ferry, and he declined because he wanted to have a drink with the lads. Um, and that's why he was seen arguing with the Johnsons. Uh, and he's, like, kind of lying, it seems like. He's definitely smuggling, but he's probably the red herring on the murder front. Yes. Seems yeah, clear. He's definitely the red herring. And Just a working-class you know, guy. He make ends meet with his illegal rum smuggling business. But then why is it... Yeah. I don't understand why it had to be illegal. Maybe because it was stronger than regular stuff? Maybe he just didn't want to pay taxes on it. That's yeah. probably what it is. Bootlegging is still, like, that's still a thriving black market industry. Really? You can make a lot of money. Yeah, you can make a lot of money on that because you don't have to pay oh, taxes. Alcohol is taxed really high. Maybe rich quick scheme. I think it's highly illegal. <laughs> Do you have a still? Do you want to um, start, should we start making some moonshine? Anyway, um... Wait, we, we, we also talk, this isn't really that important, but it's kind of funny because the temperance lady makes another appearance. <laughs> And she reports that she saw the boats the night the Johnsons died after the ferry left. And that Ellis was arguing with the Johnsons. Also, she reports that she's everybody's mom and she wants to talk to oh, the manager. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And she has, like, just this very severe outfit on. And it's just obviously, you know, against alcohol and all all manner of, of fun, fun times. Oh, for sure. And she's off to load the signs back into her minivan. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> So then, um, back at the house, Hilly is a hot mess when she finds out about the murders, which is, like, a big surprise. I think there's maybe some smelling salts being used here to, like, revive her. (laughs) Um, and then her son, Gerald, feigns surprise and grief, um, and also he's, like, happy to have gotten his coin back. And, like, let's just be clear, he's not winning any Oscars for this performance. Like, he's so obviously lying. It's like, What? The Johnsons are dead. How terrible. I can't believe that 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 poor woman was smothered. Oh, you didn't mention the smothering. I just assumed. The important Hmm. thing is I have my doubloon. (laughs) This fucking doubloon. I mean, who cares? The doubloons. The (laughs) doubloons. Um, so then we go to the morgue where we find out the Johnsons were stabbed slash smothered. Um, and Jack and Franny think that maybe the discovery of the bootlegging could be the motivation for their murders. Could it be a red herring about Ellis again? Yes. <laughs> He's just a poor fisherman trying it's to get very, by. a very, like, sweater that's very, very ratty and torn. It's so ratty. You're right. And once again, suspiciously good teeth. <laughs> Yeah, they always have great teeth, don't they? Although I was watching something recently where they made the actor's teeth look really gross after, I'm trying to remember what it was, after he had been, like, you know, in the wilderness for days on end, and I was, like, actually really impressed. I was like, oh, yes, his teeth would be gross. (laughs) (laughs) I like the realism there. Just really I wish I could remember what that was in, because that would be more interesting, but I can't. Probably like a Coen Brothers movie. (laughs) Um, So then, for some reason, uh, everybody goes back to the train station. Um, Oh, I guess they're they're trying to find out about this grog that arrived in Melbourne that was the same as what was found on Frank. Yeah, they're going to investigate about Um, the deliveries. Yeah, so then we find out that the station guard was working with one of the boat boys, name of Wally, Wally. to smuggle that grog. And this is dots on Uh, dots observation, I'll note, so. Dot is distracted from her her very chaste kissing of Hugh to continue the investigation. It's very admirable. Yes. Further examples of when Dot is a much better investigator than Hugh, the professional policeman. (laughs) Yeah, really, Dot should be a policewoman. Yes. And then uh, Miss Fisher and Jack decide that the best thing to do now is to lie to turn Wally in against each other. And they set off to do this. (laughs) Um, And then after that has happened, they just decide to lie in the sand where the corpse was discovered. Cozy corpse sand. 
and wait for their trick to I call play this out. An investigative picnic. Oh, are they lying I on a blanket? So they have snacks, and it's like one of my favorite scenes. <laughs> I mean, it's great. It's yeah. iconic. It's frequently yes. memed. The trick works, and it prompts a fight between Wally and Ellis. Where I mean, they're just airing their dirty laundry, yelling right in the dock, or in the middle of the them. afternoon. Oh my god! Don't they have fish to catch? Well, no, they're smuggling around. I think this fishing has become secondary at this point. Right. Uh, so Wally, of course, reveals that he's the one who killed Frank to stop him blowing the top off their operation. Scuffling ensues, and when for when confronted, for some reason, Ellis takes his knife and throws it off the pier. Yeah, I don't understand why he does that, but it makes for a great scene later, it's, so I'm not complaining. It's a MacGuffin for swimsuiting. <laughs> but, no, I mean, he he does it because he knows it would link him to the crime scene, because he he did discover the body that's of the Johnsons, that and true. that's where he got the knife. Yeah. Um, so those yes. two are both arrested. Um, oh, what I was going to say is, I don't understand, and when I was doing my murder recap, I just couldn't figure out why was Frank going to blow the whistle? Why? Like, he had a profitable um, sideline. Yeah, I don't know that there's any reason behind that. Like, was he convinced by the temperance people? I don't know. I, I didn't understand that. that well, little. clearly not, because he was blackmailing Billy. I'm like, maybe he just got in over his head and felt like if he turned his buddies in, he could get away. I don't know. I didn't understand that, but... Maybe he wanted, maybe he wanted to admit about finding the Johnson's bodies. That could be it. Yeah, I thought maybe that was part of it. But then, like, in this scene, Wally and Alice are fighting, and, like, they don't know that Franny and Jack are listening, so... I don't know. Huh. Unclear. Um, so then next, Alice is being questioned, uh, and he claims that he and Frank just found those bodies the next morning and disposed of them. Which is like, why would you do that? Just, why? I don't know. Well, because they assumed that Wally had killed them. That Wally Yeah, because they say, like, they left that night, and Wally stayed behind. And so then when they came back in the morning and they found the dead bodies, they assumed that Wally had killed them. And so they kind of disposed of the bodies to cover for Wally. Well, I guess Wally does turn out to be a killer, so good judge yep, character yep. there. Yep, he was definitely a killer. Um, they probably shouldn't have disposed of the bodies. That seems like they're probably going to get charged with that, but... Yep. <laughs> um, and then a telegram arrives from the Melbourne Museum revealing that the doubloon... Um, or a doubloon went missing from their case, but it was a different one than McMaster's. Or was it? Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> so then in the next scene, Aunt Prudence discovers a drunk Killy in the bathtub and becomes needlessly hysterical. Well, I think she's, like, passed out. Yeah, but, and then Aunt Prudence is like, I thought she drowned! And it's like, why did you think that? Her head was above That's water. True. She clearly had not, dr like, drowned and then floated back up. Like, what? <laughs> I See, this is where I, I thought, wow, I have a lot of respect for Prudence. She, like, really cares about her friend, even though, like, this whole experience has been a little unsettling and probably kind of irritating. Oh, yeah. I mean, imagine if this happened in real life. You thought you were going to have, like, a cool vacation. Your friend's a mess and is just, like, sort of complaining <laughs> all the time, yelling at the servants, like... Turns out she's a secret alcoholic, and you're just, like, having to solve a murder. Not a no, time. Worst vacation no. ever. Worst vacation ever. <sighs> um, but, yeah, they get her out of the bathtub, and she confesses to everything. Um, Frank was blackmailing her about the drinking. The Johnsons resigned because they knew about her drinking problem. Um, she gave them the coins as a final sort of goodbye payment. Uh, and she can't remember anything from the night that they left because she was drunk. Well, she was drinking cocoa and playing bridge but also according to her no, son she said that too like she's almost like i i remember that but i can't quite remember anything else because she was <laughs> suspicious so then fra wait hold on no. i need to get the cork off of this <laughs> bottle of wine <laughs> <laughs> so that make no. a lot enough pop there we go <laughs> This is not a temperance household. All right. <laughs> um, all right, anyway. Now we can continue. So Friday is on to um, this little Coco story. So she asked Kip about it, and he says no, and then he sort of, like, very hesitantly mentions that he's been sleeping in the pantry. <laughs> 
and he would have known if someone was at the stove and there definitely wasn't anyone at the stove that night so this whole coco story of gerald's is bullshit oh yeah also it's hilarious that they ever could have thought he was the murderer because i mean he couldn't keep a secret if it was like his life depended on it He's just like, oh, did I don't know if I should say, but the silver missing. I don't know if I should say, but definitely no cocoa. I don't know if I should say, but I'm living in the pantry. Maybe Mr. Butler oh. gives him a discretion or a discretion lesson, like off off screen. Yeah, well, I mean, he pretty much blows open the whole case. So if it wasn't for Kip, they never would have solved this. True, but who cares? Because now it's swimsuit oh, time. One of the best scenes ever. There's so many good scenes in this episode. One of the reasons it's my favorite really is good um and i also just want to note before we get to the swimsuits that miss fisher also has a terrific outfit on i love this blue and red beach outfit i don't know if it's a swimsuit because you never see the full body shot of it but it looks super cute it's and she's wearing the sunglasses again um dot's outfit on the other hand is hideous it's like a weird pattern it's like a weird lace collar it's just yeah i mean that's like classic dot classic dot yeah i was like what you were in like a suit to the beach okay great (laughs) (laughs) um i also love that she and Dot are just standing there, like, less viciously eating ice cream and, like, Oh, yeah, they're like, clearly we're going to bring snacks to the show. <laughs> just the licking of the ice cream cone <laughs> is so, like... Ugh. Anyway. And then we get treated to Hugh and Jack in their bathing costumes. And oh, yeah. I just... Jack's is really strange, and it's, like... It's like a, a women's, a very modest women's bathing suit today with a little skirt. Like, I've definitely had a bathing <laughs> suit like that. <laughs> like, with a little skirt. Yeah, I know. Upper, upper thighs. I noted that, like, Hugh looks fantastic in his swimsuit, but they seem to have given Jack one with, like, a real soggy, saggy yeah, it's crotch. A, it's, it's a real missed opportunity. Yeah. And then, like, I also think that he's not acting appropriately ashamed at all because normally he'd be totally out of you know it would put him out of sorts to be caught in such a state of disarray yeah but like like, here's here's what i think is going on like jack is also in a bathing costume and jack is his boss they're they're on the job right like hugh takes his work pretty seriously even though he's a little oh no i mean i mean jack would be jack would be acting out of sorts because he doesn't you know he's always got the full suit on and the fedora like yeah but this is you know all in the line of duty He's got to put his bathing costume on. I guess so. <laughs> um, but I mean, and le- like, lest we forget the who put me in pajamas episode, you know, like he doesn't want to be seen out of his. Okay. That suit. one was different. Also, yeah, I was different. Correct. My um, assertion that this is my favorite episode because that is definitely my favorite episode. Absolutely. 100% my favorite episode. Yeah. I have watched contest. it far more times. <laughs> I've watched this episode. And I've watched this episode a lot. So. I've watched it so many times. <laughs> I've also specifically watched that scene just, like, over and over again. <laughs> so just, many times. It's yes, it's embarrassing. A lot. Anyways, that's not this episode, and it's, uh, it's still to come. So if you haven't watched the whole show yet, um, get ready. Yeah, get ready. It's coming. It's coming in hot. Uh, so I do have some other thoughts about this scene. Uh, I do really appreciate seeing these two in their bathing costumes, but I think it would actually be more in keeping with Miss Fisher's character for her to be the one to go for a swim and find this dagger. Yeah, no, that's probably true. But maybe she just, like, and then, you know, abdicated her responsibility to see Hugh and Jack in their bathing costumes. I don't know. <laughs> um, I... I was picturing it sort of an atonement-style bathing costume, like Kira Knightley wears with a little bathing cap. The only person that's ever made a bathing cap like <laughs> I actually cute. have never seen that movie, which is a travesty. Oh my god, we're okay. absolutely watching I'm it. I'm pretty sure it has James McAvoy in it, right? Uh, yeah, it absolutely does. Well, anyway, final note on this scene, they find the dagger. And it looks like a collector's piece. Who do we know that might be a collector of rare daggers? Who do we know that has a full case of rare daggers with maybe one spot missing that's just the exact size and shape of this Could dagger. Very baggy pants. <laughs> maybe we could use that dagger to cut the pants down to a more realistic size. <laughs> uh so yeah, Miss Fisher checks the dagger was in fact Gerald's and also he has the missing coin from the museum. And Miss Fisher calls Jack immediately. Like, you know, I personally would probably leave the office before I called Jack. Um, but she stays there. So Gerald 
interrupts her and when confronted confesses everything um it's sort of more in a i'm going to kill you so i want to reveal my crimes first sort of a manner as is the costume um, of shows <laughs> Um, and then he says something about one last reprieve, which I still don't understand. Did you get that? I don't, I don't know. know what that's I about. have in my notes, wine, wine, wine. He's just like, he's <laughs> whining about the museum and nobody appreciates me. And that's why I had to commit murder and blah, blah, blah. And... No one understands me. No one understands my absurd suit. Yeah, so I think that's the one last reprieve. Like, uh, I just never get a break. I'm just a humble adventurer. Ugh. Um, also, small note, in the murder flashback scene, you can really see the spit coming out of his mouth, and I have to wonder, did they add that in later during editing, or was that just real spit coming out of his mouth? Because I I noticed that, too. I didn't think about the the origin of the spit, but I don't know, I could probably produce a good, like, slobbering spittle if I had to. Anyway, um, so as usual, Jack arrives just after he's needed. Miss Fisher's already saved herself, but glad he's there. She, like, clocks Gerald in the head, and we don't see what she clocks him in the head with, but I really hope it's that stone that he, like, sort of leeringly placed in her hands earlier in the show. (laughs) She's like, I don't care about this fucking rock. Do you like rocks, Miss Fisher? No, I don't. (laughs) Anyway, um, in the next scene, Hilly seems remarkably accepting of her son's arrest. Like, I 100% assume that most mothers would go into denial when confronted with this knowledge, but Hilly is just like, huh, how terrible. Hmm, how will I face everyone? Maybe Gerald kind of annoyed her, or maybe she sort of knew Gerald was behind it all along. Yeah, plus, I mean, the cloth budget must have been out of control for a suit like that. (laughs) How many changes of clothes do you think he had that were similarly large and baggy? Several. He sported several similar pants throughout this episode, so. True. Um, And then we get, of course, Aunt P heroically offers to stay behind and help Hilly get back on her feet, which, whew, I mean, good woman No, that's not going to be an easy time. Like, all signs point to that woman consuming a lot of rum during the course of a day, so her becoming, like, getting dry is not going to be easy. Yeah, I think it's going to take more than one try. Yeah, I think it already has, so... Again, props <laughs> to Prudence. She's being a good friend. She's doing her part. They reminisce about their time at Wally Grammar. Yeah, That's cute. That's where Jane yeah, goes, too, right? Wally Grammar. And Prudence pulled many strings to get her in, so... Many strings. <laughs> um, that's what she should have said to Hilly when Hilly said she wasn't good enough for Wally Grammar. Aunt Prudence could have been like... Pfft. I got a thieving orphan in there. She's she's in the pantry flirting with your kitchen boy. Wally Grammar will take anyone. <laughs> and then finally, we're back in the Melbourne parlor. And we've got some window seat banter. Jack never really did collect coins. Turns out he was more of a bicycle rider, which I can respect. Yes. And then Friday toasts to pirates, adventurers, and boys on bicycles. Uh, Which, yeah. I, I know, right? To that. It's a little cheesy, but I love it. Oh, yeah. And that's it? That's it. And then the song Away with the Rum by Gum by Gum plays. And I looked it up, and it's like some old-timey folk song by the Temperance Union, but it was sort of co-opted by a bunch of, like, bros at Yale back in the day who would basically turn it into a drinking song. Huh. That's not surprising. That definitely sounds like something Yale yeah, bros yeah. would do. It's a pretty annoying song. Okay, do you, you want to do the murder recap? Yes, so... The town of Queensclip is gripped in the midst of a struggle between the Temperance Union and the Publicans, including the family of Constable Baxter of the police force. The Johnsons, who work for Mrs. McMaster, are very involved in the Temperance Union and convinced Mrs. McMaster to make the house a dry household. However, the fishmonger Frank has started selling Mrs. McMaster rum for medicinal purposes, and she gets hooked. She starts buying more and more and to hide it from the, her household and her son, Gerald. She starts paying in silver um, in increasing amounts because Frank is threatening to tell um, tell everyone that, that she's hooked on the booze. Um, turns out that Frank was just kind of a bit of a loose cannon. He's also been threatening his co-rum smugglers with blowing the lid off the whole smuggling business. Um, and this includes the other dockhand rum smuggler Wally who has a sideline of smuggling the rum onto the train to Melbourne um, and Ellis who's the captain of the boat doesn't know about this sideline so then Wally ultimately kills Frank to keep him quiet 
And then meanwhile, the Johnsons have discovered that their employer has a drinking problem and have been trying to help her to no avail. Um, so they finally resign in sadness and disappointment. And Mrs. McMaster knows that she should give them something for their long service, so she takes her disorganized adventurer son Gerald's coin collection and sends them on their way. They head to the docks, where they just missed the ferry and happen upon Frank, Ellis, and Wally unloading a rum shipment. They confront them about ruining Mrs. McMaster's life, and a fight ensues. Frank and Ellis leave, leaving Wally behind. In the morning, they come back and find the Johnsons' bodies and assume that Wally has killed them. They dispose of the bodies by throwing them over as the tide is going out. However, what really happened is that when Gerald discovered that the coins were missing and learned of the Johnsons' departure, he flew after them, confronted them about stealing the coins. They refused to give them back, so he attacks them and ultimately kills them with one of his collector daggers. He throws it over the pier, where it is later find by, found by Ellis, then thrown back into the water. No, I, I think he leaves it there, and Ellis finds it when he finds the yes, bodies. Yes, okay, yes. Ellis finds it at the crime scene. He doesn't throw it over until later. It only gets thrown in the water once. <laughs> <laughs> um, after Ellis and Wally get in a fight. Um, and then this whole thing is the whole... It's all kicked off by one of Gerald's coins. A Spanish doubloon washes up on shore and is reported in the paper. He tries to reclaim it, but he doesn't have proof of ownership because it turns out he stole it from the Melbourne Museum in some sort of petty fight with the museum about his expeditions. So in the end, it turns out that Gerald's not only whiny, he's a murderer. And a thief. <laughs> and a thief. So that's the murder recap. I love that this is one of those examples of a time when the murderer turns out to be the person who hired Miss Fisher in the first place, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> Which is, it's that's kind of a trope, oh, yeah. you know? Like, remember when it was Maud in yes. season one, episode yep. one? Was her yeah. name Maud? Or was it yeah. Eustace? You know, that's Eunice in season that's one, episode two. Yes, another example of the murderer being the person who hired yeah, the her. the first two episodes. Oh, well. No, it's Lydia. It's not Maud. Yeah. It's Lydia in episode one. Lydia Andrews. <laughs> Uh, anyway, worst outfit of the week. Um, well, <laughs> surprise, surprise, I have Gerald's stupid pants. Oh my god, yeah, his suit is so bad. It's so bad that it even overshadows Dot's really bad suit. Yeah, Dot has some really bad outfits in this episode, but that's like every episode. Yeah. Anyway, great job, costume designers. You're really nailing it. I mean that earnestly. Yes, no. Yeah. It's true. Best outfit. Uh, Friday's seaside getup with the glasses, the sun hat, and the parasol. Oh, the pink and white? Yeah. Yeah, that was my runner-up. My number one was the other seaside outfit, the red mm, and blue dress. Yeah. With yeah. a little, like, cape, sort of. Yep. Um, murder method. I put it as a two because <laughs> a stupid man in baggy pants needlessly kills good-hearted temperance advocates. <laughs> yes, I gave that one a three for the smother stab because it's just, like, needless and uncreative. Um, the too much rum method on Frank the Fish, I'm giving an eight, but only because it worked. You know, it's a gamble. <laughs> Might not have worked. He could have just had a really bad hangover, but he died. True. I didn't rate that one. Mm, it felt okay. like a side murder. <laughs> <laughs> it was a side murder. A classic, the bodies are piling up episode. Uh, um, Skill of the week? Skill of the week, I have stealthy champagne popping because I think we already did blood splatter nail. <laughs> I had dock hanging. Hey, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> what about best week? Um, I said Kip. You know, he gets a tux. He gets some flirting happening. He maybe doesn't have to sleep in the pantry anymore. I don't know. Probably he I, still does. I also had Kip. <laughs> gets some new clothes, key job training and a promotion, plus figures out how to wash his face. Yeah. And he, you know, teenage romance with Jane. Oh, yeah. I feel like they should have shown them sharing a little illicit kiss. I think that would have been really cute. Just a chaste seaside kiss. Yeah, because I'm sure they did, you know, under the pier. Yeah. Where Do you the think dead a... bodies washed up. Maybe not under the pier. Maybe somewhere <laughs> else. Do you think an adult Jane is going to make an appearance in Miss Fisher's Modern Mysteries? I hope so. Oh, that'd be great. That would be fantastic. All right, worst week? Um, I had Hilly. Her dirty secret is revealed and her son is arrested for murder and you know her staff was murdered by her son yeah not a good not a good time oof yeah i actually also had hilly um so we're pretty much in agreement on yeah. every aspect of this week that's true <laughs> um sexual tension i used your rating from last week about the adam's apples 
Yes! <laughs> and I gave it three out of five. And this might be controversial because there's a lot of really good scenes in this, but there isn't really any, like, just those moments where Jack and Franny are, like, inches from each other and about to, like, just, you know, get hot and heavy. Yeah, that's an excellent point. I mean, the, the smoldering tense moments are missing. I gave I did give it four out of five Adam's apples, which, you know, does seem a little high after listening to your explanation. Um, there's just a lot of friendliness and working together, lying on a blanket under the pier. Oh, but, yeah, I mean, it's definitely there. It's just, yeah. It's not tense. Exactly. It's friendly. And I feel like this is one of those episodes where I wonder sort of, like, what is happening behind the scenes, not in the show? Because, like, they jump into the ocean, and then what happens next? And he's, like, in her bedroom popping champagne, and what happens next? I don't know. It makes me a little suspicious that maybe something's going on, and we just don't get to see it as the viewer. Do they head back to the house soaking wet? Yeah. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> well, I think that wraps us up for this episode. It uh, does. Next week, we are reviewing Season 2, Episode 4, Dead Weight. I think that's the boxing episode. Oh, yeah. I like that one because it's almost like, it's almost a circus episode, and I love all the circus episodes, so... Uh, I can't wait until we get to some of these more exciting ones, like Blood at the Wheel is a classic. I'm I'm ready for that. Uh, uh, what's it? Another one? Unnatural Habits is great. That's uh, episode mm-hmm. twelve. Yeah, I'm looking at the list. Oh, is Murder this... All. Of Mo- oh my gosh, Murder All of Mode isn't that the Italian restaurant episode? <gasps> yes, that. No, wait, is that's also that's one of my season favorites. three. Wait, that's oh, definitely season three. Yeah. What is Murder? Oh, Murder All of Mode is the fashion house. Oh, yeah, I like that one because it has a character named Genevieve. Right, yeah. Who, well, we won't spoil it. (laughs) Well, anyway, we've got lots of good stuff coming up for you, listeners. Um, And we'd love to hear from you, as usual. Please subscribe, leave us a review, tweet at us how many Adam's apples you thought this episode rated out of a scale of five Adam's apples. Um, Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we really do love hearing from you, so. Yeah. Shoot us a line. All right, till next week. See you next week. Excellent news. You're gonna you're gonna put that on the internet. I respect you. <laughs>